Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Brand In You podcast. I am Carly Lyon, and it is my goal, aim, and pure purpose on this show to help you find the best tips, tools, and strategies to elevate your personal brand and put yourself out there. Many of you might already know, but for those who don't, I started my career in PR. And today we're talking about how to prepare for a media interview. I absolutely know and understand the power of the media. And it's interesting, some of you might have listened to my interview with Carmine Gallo, who noted that Often it's the same experts that are seen in the media time and time again. And what that's a reflection of is not that they're any smarter or any better, but it's just that they're possibly better prepared, they're pitching for the opportunity, and they're better communicators. But it's not something that you're born knowing how to do. It's something you learn. So naturally, when we're talking about elevating our personal brand, part of that is putting yourself out there in the media. And when I thought about, well, who could I talk to to help my clients and listeners get media ready. Jessica Ridley was the first person that I thought about. So I'm going to give you the formal bio and intro to Jess. You're going to love her. We've got a lot to talk about, but here it is. Jessica Ridley is a media commentator and TV journalist seen regularly on Nine's Today Show. Prior to this, she was on Channel 7's Sunrise Breakfast Show as a Sydney correspondent, also working on Seven News across finance, real estate, consumer, health, and entertainment news. She's worked with Australia's largest TV and radio newsrooms for more than a decade and covered major events including COVID-19 pandemic, elections, floods, bushfires, and high-profile court cases. She's been afforded access to some of the most powerful players in Australian politics and business and regularly interviews government policymakers and corporate decision makers. Now, recently, Jess stepped out of, or I suppose sidestepped, and started running corporate spokespeople uh, workshops, excuse me, Jess, as I'm sitting here talking about preparing for an interview, I'm stumbling in my own interview, but anyway, we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she's all about today helping thought leaders, change makers, and experts get media ready, obviously bringing her years of experience in doing that. So Jess, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Carly. Thanks so much. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm honoured that I'm the first person at, as top of mind. And just a point that you made is that the media does tend to go back to the same people and it's a visibility yeah. thing as well. So I'm glad that I'm visible to you in what I'm doing. And let's just talk about how we can be more visible to the media today. Absolutely. And you really are, Jess. You, you know, you're doing such a great job of getting this message out there and the way that you've 
built and repositioned your own personal brand is really admirable. And I suppose that's a great place to start. Why did you decide to take that sidestep from, you know, what you were doing in the media to helping those who really don't know how to work with the media now work with the media and get on air ready? Like what was the decision for you? Well, look, I guess I, in lots of ways, have a bit of a teaching streak in me. Naturally, on the road as a reporter, found myself on the daily, almost presentation training, interview Mm -hmm. talent on the spot to try to get the best out of them. Mm. There's a lot of misconceptions around journalists that we're there to catch you out and that Mm. if there's a pause, we're going to run that or if you stuff something up, we're going to run that. I mean, they're generally tactics saved for politicians that we're holding to account, but rarely, you know, for the majority of, of people that get that opportunity for TV, I mean, we're there to make entertainment. We're there to, to keep eyeballs watching our show. So we're not certainly not going to take your pause mm-hmm. or your stutter. We're looking for your most concise sound bites. And a sound bite is basically an articulate, concise sentence that summarizes your position on a topic. It can, it can be a bit grabby. It can have, you know, we're looking for sticky words, things that people will remember. So I found myself training people Mm. on the spot, trying to get the best out of them and noticed that there was really a gap between PR and journalism where Mm. the PR might be able to uh, get a win over the line. Yeah, you're going on the morning show. But then when it actually happens, I would just see missed up opportunity over after missed opportunity of of them not really answering the questions or not really taking control of what is a very rare opportunity for the most. Mm. It's interesting why, and I don't know if you have the answer to this, but why we do have that preconceived notion that the journalist is out to get you, out to, you know, to find holes in your story. Because absolutely, I remember the days when Today Tonight and A Current Affair and, and, and I was putting clients on those shows, I'd always pray and hope that the journalist was nice to them. But that was such a small percentage of the journalists that I have worked with. And absolutely to your point, they're trying to get the best story. They're trying to make you look good because it makes them look good. So just that in a mindset shift alone, I would imagine has everyone take a big sigh of relief that, oh, okay, I can relax in that regard. Completely. And understanding how to do that dance a little bit better. I mean, it is very transactional. The news is there to fill a bulletin or fill a show. You're there to promote what you're doing. So it's about making, it's about understanding that and how to do that dance better, but also assuming less of the journalist. I mean, you might've been up all night preparing your key messages, rehearsing what you were going to say, thinking about what what's going to trip you up and you could get me on that day. And and on any given day, I was waking up for sunrise at three in the morning. I was sent out an hour drive to stand outside a courtroom to talk about a a significant case that morning, then thrust over to, you know, perhaps a press conference with the, the emergency services. And then later that afternoon told to cross town, to go to the announcement of some, you know, new platform software for services. And, and I'm 
reading the media releases I'm walking in. I have no idea what I'm walking into. It's not really my area of expertise. So I'm learning as I go. And so it's about media training is about helping participants exercise more control in that situation and those interactions with journalists to, to identify when they can actually influence the course of that story and and help that busy time poor journalist as well. Uh, yeah, it's it it is. It's it, you're offering them a service. That's another really great way of looking at it. So I, like I said, I've got so many questions in this regard. And even having been in PR and and really as you said that I thought to myself, God, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of having put my clients in the situation of, well, you're on morning TV, but then (laughs) were they actually prepared uh, and did I equip them with the right tools to make the most of that opportunity? I'm sitting here thinking probably didn't. Mm. So I'm going to, I want to start by saying the first, so even though I was in PR, you know, obviously had put my clients on some of the biggest shows, covers of the biggest magazines and whatever else. The first time I did a television interview it was live to air, Sky News, and I had got the questions uh, in advance what they were going to ask. I was being interviewed by Janie Seal, who's lovely, and I knew that, you know, had, yeah, had, I knew it was going to be a great conversation, but I memorized all my answers. And then when I got to set, she asked me a question that I wasn't prepared for, and I was like, I didn't know where to go. So, yeah, I want to break it down. Firstly, what do you do to prepare before the interview? Mm -hmm. Well, as you say, you want to come in researched but not rehearsed. You want to commit Mm -hmm. to memory some of the key points that you want to get across, and I would suggest you do that in bullet point form rather than in full sentences and committing that to memory because, yes, the questions can be entirely different from what you were expecting, but if you walk into an interview with two or three things that you really need to get across, and I heard it said really well just a couple of days ago because I'm always talking about the rule of three, that it's psychology, right? I mean, humans, we have the shortest attention span. I think it's about eight seconds. You know, that's less than a goldfish. And so our ability to retain a lot of information is pretty Mm -hmm. poor. So two or three bits of information is really uh, all that you can expect of your audience to take in. So if you're walking in and it could be framed as what's the problem, what's the solution, and what's the call to action, and looking at it that way. And rather than walking out of that interview going, oh, they didn't ask me a question about the point I wanted to make, finding a way to answer their question and then segue into the key point that you want to make because that's really exercising control in that situation. It's it's still answering the question, but it's also maximizing that very short opportunity sometimes to make sure that if you walk out of that interview, you are happy because you hit your three key points. So that's that's one um, tool that I would that we're always talking about is that rule of three. Yeah, and look, I I always talk about the magic number of three as well. It just seems to be the the perfect amount. And I I totally resonate with what you're saying. Don't how did you say? Don't rehearse. Don't be researched, but not rehearsed. Yeah. Know your facts. I mean, you're the expert. We're coming to you. We've put on the couch for you to tell us about this topic. We're not the experts. We're just the host. We're learning from you. So come Mm -hmm. in. And also 
back yourself in that you know your stuff as well. Yes. Don't hide behind your notes and your and your pre-prepared script because you will fall fall over. And what I see time and time again uh, as being a setback for a spokesperson is that they forget who they're speaking to in that instance. Mm. They forget to keep it conversational. They forget to look past that journalist and that interaction and see their VIP. Now, their VIP could be their sponsors, their their suppliers, their clients, mm-hmm. their future clients, and that's who they should be talking to. So for me, doing many years of, of breakfast television, of course the nerves would, would be there, but I would think about that one person down the barrel of the camera that I was talking to and I would mm-hmm. break it down to the micro of, Let's call him Alan. He's 45 years old. He's waking up. He's letting the dog out for a wee. He's turning the kettle on. He's sitting down at the lounge to turn the TV on and see what's making news that morning. And that's who I'm speaking to. So in that moment, I forget about my bosses, my colleagues, all the people that I have to impress and get things right for. And I'm actually thinking about who I'm communicating with. And so you start seeing the journalist and this transaction as a conduit to get to that very important person that you're trying to communicate with. I I love everything that you just said. And and one of the things that really stood out for me is knowing you are the expert in that scenario and backing yourself. And what is interesting about that, because, you know, again, having now been on the other side and being interviewed is even though I know, I know my stuff and I'm the potential expert in that particular area, it really is a case of I walk into that room and nerves get the better of me. And it whatever happens, you know, whether it's the adrenaline or whatever's happening in there, all of that expertise seems to be completely wiped. Mm-hmm. And I then go searching in my head, oh my God, what did I rehearse? What did I? So I love what you say about remembering your VIP, speaking to them, because that would, I would imagine that takes the pressure off somewhat. hundred percent. What are some of the other things that you can do to just manage those nerves? Because I feel like that is what really interrupts that flow of thinking and that ability to relax into the situation. Totally. I mean, nerves can play out differently for all of us. You might get a shake in the hand. You might feel out of breath. You might not be able to make eye contact. Mm. You might be quiet. You might be a bit more reserved. You might, your eyeballs might be sticking out of your head like saucepans, like looking like a deer in the headlights. So for me, doing morning TV, talking to hundreds of thousands of people every morning, what was happening to me is that my throat was drying up. So I'd have a whole minute on air which is about six or seven lines to get through. And I wouldn't be able to get through it without having to clear my throat. Mm. So that was something that I finally worked through with a vocal coach. It was actually Edwina Bartholomew uh, who who, who pointed it out to me and said, I think this could be nerves. And so when I sat down with someone, uh, we, we identified that and worked through that. So now what I do in that moment, a couple of minutes before I go on air, is just have some water, hold it in my mouth, let it seep down really slowly and work on a bit of breath work and also just declutter my mind as well. Like if I'm doing something like this with you, Carly, I'm closing off all of the tabs, all of the things that could arise and jump into my mind and I'm trying to really focus on what I'm doing. So that means building in a bit of a 
a ritual and we talk about ritual setting in our media training of what can you do? I mean, if it's the same set of socks, it's going to make you feel comfortable or it's going for that run in the morning or it's not scheduling meetings right up until or clearing yeah. your diet or, or asking the journalist if you can stand up instead of sit down. You know, it's all of those things that a seasoned professional, a seasoned spokesperson starts to identify as what makes them feel more comfortable, what makes them feel more in control. A studio set setting, Carly, is so foreign. I mean, yep. you feel completely out of control. And I've seen CEOs, you know, yep. crumble in, in the lights. And so yep. uh, a lot of media training uh, ha- takes place typically in people's boardrooms. I mean, we get asked, yeah, can you come into the office and do some media training? And so we've been doing that for a while there, but something new that we've started is actually really encouraging our our clients to uh, come and do it in a studio because I feel like the technical aspects can and understanding that can really put you at ease. There's lots of lights. There's a piece of, you know, an IFB or an in-ear um, fallback in your ear. There's microphones. There's people everywhere. There's not much time to connect with the hosts before you go on, on air. Things go wrong. And so there's a lot of risk to, to throw someone on the couch for the first time into yeah. a live. It's like throwing them into the wolves sometimes. And there's obviously yeah. so much that the host can do to save them without the director going in the host ear and saying, look, crash out of this. This is a dud. We're going to an ad. And so that can not be a really great oh it'd be terrible yeah uh, but it happens it happens and so at me doing uh, being on the PR side now I'm really careful with who I will put up for TV opportunities because if they're not media trained basically I won't pitch them because it's my reputation mm-hmm. too now I don't want to put someone on there that's that's going to flounder because yeah. it's nice for them and it's also going to impact my ability to pitch someone else to that show next time because they're going to go, who else? No are way. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's really important. It's a really worthy investment. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And the fact that you're doing it in a studio setting and really prepping them in that way is absolutely brilliant because you can feel very comfortable in a boardroom setting and you can get all of your messaging right and you can mm-hmm. feel like you've absolutely nailed your sound bites. But as you said, you go into that foreign setting with the lights and you've got the camera crew around you and all of these people are watching you and it just throws you off. And having that preparation and practicing in that proper environment just would make all the difference. Totally. And and I guess also understanding the different formats of interviews that yes. you can have live in a studio. I mean, that's very infrequent. Nowadays, it's live crosses where yep. you're doing a live cross or you're doing a Zoom interview and, and yep. you're not getting feedback down the line either. So mm-hmm. it's it's how do I sit? How do I deal with this? And and just understanding the changing media landscape. I mean, COVID changed things that will never go back to the way they were. Yeah. It is now acceptable for a camera operator to turn up to an interview with a journalist asking the questions over the phone. That happens more than you would think. It's it's more often than not the camera crews across the networks are what we call pooling resources, where one camera turns up and you say, who are you shooting for? And they say, I'm with Sky, but I'm actually covering ABC 10, 7 and 9. 
I mean, this, the writing was on the wall when Seven and Nine uh, merged their helicopter resources and the competition was off. They used to, you know, fight for the first person to get to that bushfire and now they share resources. So there's people are actually surprised as to how little resources there are. I mean, these newsrooms are now running on, on the smell of an oily rag. So, but there's opportunity there. There's actually opportunity there to, to take control of that situation. And that's really what we do in equipping our media training participants. Oh, I, I like I said, I, I think it's brilliant. And I do agree that everyone should invest. Anyone who wants that visibility, anyone who is looking to put themselves out there in the media, and, I, and I'm talking about on air and off air, uh, because Quite frankly, nowadays, even what would have just been a magazine interview is turning potentially into a Zoom video. And that's even podcast now. You know, totally. just before this interview, we were saying, are you going to use the, the video? It's all part of it. It's, you know, this multifaceted approach to communication. So getting on air ready is, is really smart. And the other thing that came up for me just remembering my interview was one of the things I wasn't prepared for was when Janie started asking me the questions I was then looking at her answering but she was of course looking at her teleprompter so (laughs) in my head I was thinking and this is someone who's been in PR I was thinking oh god I'm 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 dadding out they're gonna you know they're gonna pull me out of the studio this is really failing she's looking for someone to pull me off set um but really she was just looking at the teleprompter so how do you in that case is that simply just a question you ask to the media that you're going to be on you know what's the setup Oh, absolutely. Asking as many questions as you can. Is this live? Is this pre-recorded? Yeah. Um, Times it airing? Uh, are you like, and asking them, who else are you speaking to for this as well? What do you need from me? Okay. So I'm going to say this, but I can't talk about that just so you know, and setting those parameters a little bit. And you do that before the interview as well. You ask as much as you can. Yeah. That really helps inform how how to proceed really yeah uh, yeah so i mean it it is funny though there are lots of distractions and for a host they've got someone in their ear they've yeah. got a live press conference they're going to have to cross out to there are variables and and what i always tell clients is we don't celebrate until that thing is on air because they might have shot it they might have said it's running tonight but the bulletin changes all day so don't yeah. bank your pretty dollar on it unless yep. you the only thing that is that is tried and true is a fifty thousand dollar ad so if you want to place an ad and then you'll know exactly when it's going to play but news is a changing beast you just yep. cannot rely on it until it makes the air <laughs> yeah it is so true and that's that's a, an important part of managing expectations no totally. doubt and it's funny how you can have an interview that, you know, if it's pre-recorded, that goes for an hour and then your segment's like three seconds or 30 seconds and you're like, what? I spoke to them for an hour. I was so poetic. I was, you know, I was so on point with everything I said. And then coming back to your point of those sound bites, they've mm-hmm. taken like t- little cuts of what you've said mm-hmm. and that's it. And and it's hard. And we kind of review that a little bit and debrief those experiences with mm. participants that have had some exposure to media because 
they do go all of that effort for that. Like I had to cancel half of my day at late notice and I sat down for half an hour and they took this 10 seconds and they used, why did they use that bit? But, and we talk about that with them and how to actually, you know, turn the journalist's nose towards a soundbite. I mean, politicians figured this out a long time ago. I think it was Bob Hawke that would circle Parliament House before a press conference and think about something clever that he could say uh, when he came to that press conference. And, and, you know, we saw during COVID the get on the beers by Daniel Andrews or the jabs in arms that Gladys Berejiklian, our former New South Wales Premier, used to say. So I workshop that with our participants. I give them a word. I give them a buzzword like scattergun approach. And I say, I want you to get scattergun approach in your interview with me. Mm -hmm. And so they have to get that buzzword in there. And that's just naturally the phrase that the journalist will go, yep, that's the one, you know. And so thinking about things like puns, Journalists love puns or or ratios. You know, that's enough bananas to fill the SCG five times. Or stories as well. You know, this is a, a real um, uh, piece that we work through. You know, everything is so much more impactful when it is told from lived experience. Mm-hmm. So you can really bring a data point to life with a real example and really lean into that. You know, talk about what your customers are telling you. Talk about the feedback that you're getting. Talk about a challenge along the way rather than, you know, celebrating the the end result. Actually, what were those hurdles that we encountered but we got through them? That's a gripping story. That's a compelling soundbite rather than a percentage, a, a figure, a, an abbreviation. And, and sometimes I think we get really deep in the weeds of our organisations and we assume that everybody speaks our language and knows what we're talking about when they don't. So it's actually bringing things back and establishing some some foundational understanding of our topic and, you know, inviting people, hooking them in with those first words, Mm -hmm. those first pictures, because that's always so important, as I say, in terms of being engaging. I mean, I heard it said very well that it's not the audience's job to be engaged. It's our job to be engaging. They're yeah. not there going, okay, well, I better tune in. They're like, no, no, swat, swat. Capture me. Yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> it's your job to stand out. <laughs> yeah. And and really it's a win-win, right? When you are able to communicate something in a memorable way, the win-win is that you'll remember it as well. Mm-hmm. If it's a if it's a dry data point or and a statistic or you've you've rehearsed some clever soundbite but you're not actually connecting with it yourself, you're probably going to forget it yourself. And that's Absolutely. where you'll stumble and and forget your words and whatever else. Whereas if it's a story or it's an analogy, something that's memorable to you, mm-hmm then it will be memorable to the audience as well. So there's that win-win element. Totally. And and less is more, you know, and we strip back that language that we just assume everybody knows. And and so I pick that out on participants. I go, what is that? What is that special? Can't, can't you just say a specialist? <laughs> can't you just say, and we're getting our team of experts on it. Can't you just break it down? And they see that and they go, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, there's probably... 10 people that speak this language but if you use those those big abbreviations or those big fancy words you just alienate people and they go oh I'm not I'm not smart enough I don't know what that means and they just it distracts them and they yeah 
block it out. So it's it's just little tweaks that you can um, make along the way to to really you know come across as authoritative as well. Uh, a funny one I see a lot of uh, as a as a, a vocal. Uh, piece is is an intonation it's like an inflection that Mm. finish their their sentences up so i'm telling you carly that i do a lot of media training and we train lots of ceos but if i said to you we do a lot of media training with ceos and c-suite it's a lot more authoritative than Mm. if i'm finishing everything like i'm asking a question yes that can be another way that nerves can get the better of spokespersons that they are kind of almost seeking approval like is everybody listening are you and and it's just these little tweaks that you can make to really have a really a, a strong presence and a strong delivery oh my god this has been this is really all so helpful and it's so interesting that you talk about that simplification process because this topic has been at the top of my mind and only just the other day when I was speaking with uh, Carmine Gallo, I mentioned him again, he was talking about, and in his book, The Bezos Blueprint, where he really breaks down Jeff Bezos's style of communication. At Amazon, they're taught to write at the level of an eighth grader. <laughs> That's what they're taught to write because they believe and it research shows that that is what will be more powerful. People don't want to have to overthink what they're hearing. They want it to go directly into their mind, into their body, and they want to understand it very quickly. And I love what you're talking about here is get your message, know your message, but simplify your message and don't expect, even though you know what you know, don't think that the audience is on that page. And the only way to get them on or even close to your page is to make it really easy and work with the fact that you've got eight seconds of their attention and that's all. Like you don't have more than that. And yeah, that complicated language doesn't actually make you look smarter. It just confuses everyone. And if someone's feeling confused when they're listening to you, they're not going to have a positive experience listening to you. So that's, that's yeah, great. And great. I mean, media interactions can be extremely frustrating for complex, mm. intelligent minds because they don't appreciate it all having to, I guess, dilute their message or, mm. or break something down for an eight-year-old. I mean, the audience that commercial television news is chasing is, you know, we call her Betty from Blacktown who shops at Best and Less. Now, that's not yeah. any disregard. That is that yeah. she's, the sole, she's the decision maker of her family. She yeah. lives in the outer suburbs of the city. She decides which school her kids go to, mm-hmm. uh, what, what she puts in their lunch boxes, when they're going to get a new car, you know, wh- whether they should switch insurance. She's the one that the advertisers are chasing Therefore, in the ecosystem of television news, particularly, well, we're talking commercial news, that is who TV news is chasing. So we're always thinking about what does this woman care about? And at yeah. the moment, cost of living is so acute. So any any category of news journalists are looking for a hip pocket angle. How will this affect our audience? Mm-hmm. How much will this cost them? What would the value of this be? Mm-hmm. What will the impact to them be? And, and that's what dictates what is newsworthy and what's not. So uh, there are ways to, you know, because they're there, they want to make people care. They want to yeah. make people feel something. How do I connect people to something? Yeah. That, 
you know, and, and that's the beast that news is. Yeah. So I guess media training, we try to empower participants with a bit of that media intelligence. It's very different to presentation coaching, I must say. Yeah. I must presentation coaching too. But yeah. Being former journalists, and, and I, I still walk into a newsroom every single week. All of my friends are journalists. I live yeah. and breathe news, so I, yeah. I I'm on the pulse. And and there are lots of media trainers that might have tapped out of journalism ten or twenty years ago. And I tell you, you don't know good media training, you know, unless you do a, 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 yeah. a few different people. Because um, there's a few media trainers that should probably retire and find something else to do. Because yeah. The landscape has changed so much, you know. As I said to you earlier, I mean, we're equipping people to be on an interview without anybody present, to do a phone interview, to um, to send in their own grabs, to to be proactive about those those opportunities. As I say, to send in a video mm-hmm. news release, or if you can't supply a case study because of sensitivities, well pay for a videographer to come and shoot the interviews and supply them to the newsroom because then you've got control of what the assets are out there in the public and what the message is. And, you know, 10 years ago, the ABC would never receive a video news release. But if you supply a newsroom, a news release on a weekend, there's a 75% chance that it will run because they'll go, great, you've done most of the legwork for me. I just need to get two interviews now, bada bing, bada boom. They are cutting corners like nothing else because they have to. I I reckon about 10 years ago at the start of my, you know, TV career at seven, there would have been 15 or 16 journalists on the roster on any given day, plus 15 or 16 camera operators on any given day. Now, speaking to my friends, I reckon there's probably maybe six or seven journalists, six or seven camera operators. So they've still got the same amount of TV time to fill. Yeah. They are just so strapped and this is what a lot of people don't understand. So there's not a lot of time to make judgments about news. There's not time for a journalist to get their head around complex issues. We just have become masters of breaking down complex issues into a one-minute 20 package and that is always the formula of TV news now. It's just a a small snapshot. It doesn't have to be the whole picture. It just has to give us a snapshot of this topic right now. It's really interesting because, you know, obviously we've been in the space in different places, but in the space for a similar amount of time. And there's no doubt that, you know, the media landscape today is just, it's like black and white compared to what it was even 10 years ago. And in some ways, I even just the other day was saying to a client, you know, you could have gone on the morning show 10 years ago and that would be massive coverage for you. It could have been even, it could have changed the direction of your business because of the exposure and the eyeballs and everything else. These days, the reality is that the media is struggling the way that it is because attention spans, even where people are looking, what they're consuming has changed dramatically. But what's interesting, even though I am going to assume, and maybe you know the stats, Jess, Less people are potentially tuning into those more traditional channels and they're, they're consuming their news, let's say via social media on uh, different platforms, which is not necessarily a good thing, by the way, but, but there's still a level of credibility that comes with being featured on Channel 7 News. And sometimes it's not even how many people will see you on the news that night, but it's the fact that you can then amplify that through your social media to say, so the reason I'm saying all of this is 
even though media in some ways is dying, in others it's it's even more important today because of that credibility factor that people still trust, oh, well, if it's on Channel 7 News, if it's in the Sydney Morning Herald, then it must be credible. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much misinformation out there in social media. I mean, social media is an incredibly powerful tool and we're seeing, you know, clever brands step up and invest Mm -hmm. in their social media and not waiting for those rare mainstream media opportunities to connect with the audience. They're doing it regularly. They are constantly in communication. They're putting out their own video messages and that is great. But there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So, yes, news is still going through a number of gatekeepers. It's going through, there's a lot of assessments that are made throughout the course of the day or the week um, as to the newsworthiness of that story. And that is, you know, I guess the credibility factor that it's it's gone through checks and balances. Uh, it's made it, it's made it through. So, uh, but I, I wouldn't, discount the power of mainstream TV news just yet because, you know, a story that's featured on 7 News, yes, you know, 300,000 people saw it that night in Sydney, but there's a good chance they've syndicated it right across Mm. the network because they had a spot to fill. Then they put it on 7 News Facebook as well. So eyeballs there, they put it on YouTube as well. You can potentially go to the marketing team and boost it with ads if you wanted to. And as you're saying, you can then pop it on your own social media channels. So I, I still think it's it's incredibly valuable. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't equate the value yeah. of something like that to, uh-huh. to go through. And it doesn't look like an ad. It, it can't yes. be an ad if that makes sense. It, so. Oh, totally. It totally makes sense. Now, Talking about choosing what media outlets or or coming back to your genius point of seeing the media as a conduit to your VIP. And then you also made the point of when, you know, the newsrooms putting together their mix of news, they're thinking of Betty as their VIP. So each media outlet has its own VIP and you've got your VIP. And I'm from a PR perspective, my guess or take on it is you want whoever your VIP is and their VIP, you want those to be cohesive and consistent. So you're talk, you're trying to talk to the same audience, the same VIP. Mm-hmm. So is that, would you say that's how you choose what media outlet to go on? It's not just any media outlet makes sense for any message. You've got to be clear on where you're positioning yourself in what media outlet. Totally. And I guess it depends on what you're trying to achieve as well. Mm. And, you know, giving individualized pitches to to different outlets, you know, podcasts as well. I mean, podcasts, as you say, have exploded and they now give you the chance to really target a certain demographic, but you also get a much longer form interview as well. You get the chance mm. to really talk about what your business does um, in a mm. in a in a long format, and um, to a really specific audience, so mm. that can be just as powerful because you might get stronger conversion from that than mm. you would from a huge piece on Sunrise or Seven News. So it is looking at it is looking at individualized pitches again. You know, something I've seen with PRs is 
your individual pictures, showing that you understand the, the, the outlet, showing that you understand the types of stories that they've covered. What did they run last night? Mm-hmm. Have they already run a story like mine recently? You know, can I show an understanding of who their audience is and make them see this bridge between what my brand is trying to get out there mm-hmm. and, you know, how it could affect their audience? You've got to help them draw those parallels, they're not always naturally going to see that bridge until you present it to them. So those media blasts, I mean, that's definitely something that we discourage and we don't do a lot of because it's just not effective. You get no feedback and yeah, I I think it's, it's much better to, to go, okay, here's a shopping list of, you know, my ideal one, two, three outlets. So it could be it could be sunrise. And if we don't get sunrise, let's shop it around to today's show. And if we don't get today's show, let's try, you know, a studio 10 or a morning show or, you know, and look at it that way instead of just, Hey, everybody, what about this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but being targeted, I think that the ability to target different people and think about what they're connecting with. Mm. And he may not read the, the Australian financial review. So, but, you may want to be in the Australian Financial Review because another VIP for you could be investors or potential yes. investors. Yeah. So if you want to be seen as, you know, a female founder raising money around an incredible platform, well, of course, let's also target the Australian Fin Review because that's going to make you look grown up. It's great yes. to have a consumer piece in the Daily Telly or a morning show, but you've also got a business VIP that you're yes. as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a variety there. So I 100% back your statement that everyone should do media training. I think you're a founder, you're a CEO, you're executive. It's such an incredible skill to have and more and more so given the environment we're in and in terms of communication being so multifaceted and a lot of it is now video. So, you know, show it when we talk about being on air, as much as it's the, the verbal side, it's also the presentation, which I'm sure you go into. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just say, assuming someone's gone through your presentation, your on air training, would you then say to them, start small, go and do lots of practice runs before you go for the big guys? Mm-hmm. Or is it, well, no, the aim of the game is to just have you be ready for the big guys and jump straight into the the big situations. What oh, would be your... A hundred percent small steps, but okay. we do, like say we do a group media training, I then go away and give an assessment of each person as to where, where they're at and yeah. inform their comms person of, hey, I would be very happy to see that person on TV right now. Like you should re- really, you should be using them. You should yeah. be using them for social media videos as well. They're great. Yeah. Start using them. So that means what they should be doing in that instance is, okay, here's a person that's ready for TV, but TV is a rare opportunity. What we're going to do with them now is we're going to write a series of social media videos and put them in front of the camera to, to keep that still fresh while yes. they've done the training because otherwise, as you say, they're just sitting there on the bench waiting for that opportunity. It comes in six months and they almost need immediate training refresher beforehand. So, but then you might have someone on the 
less confident side of the scale where I might say, look, I think this person would be better at the moment for just uh, print interviews where they supply the questions, they can supply their responses, you can help frame them. Perhaps you should put them up for like an industry panel as a, as a panelist or a moderator or just to build their confidence or a radio interview, a podcast interview. So they can be smaller uh, steps with a bit less risk attached to throwing them in the, in the hot seat for a, for a live or even a pre-recorded TV news interview. Um, I also, uh, we're all consumers of news, Carly, and it's, it's funny. Well, it's not funny to me anymore, but it's funny how many participants come in. And the first question I ask is, I want to know what you watched. What do you listen to? And so many people aren't watching the TV news. They're not home at 6 p.m. They're getting their news through the day on online. Absolutely. They might not even like local news. They might just prefer to know what's happening because we are very insular yeah. um, in Australia, particularly yeah. the foreign news until, you know, halfway down the bulletin and then there's huge riots in Paris and you're like, yeah. oh, hang on, isn't this important? So it's great that people can choose where they get their news from, but you find that they're not um, that familiar with the different formats that we're talking about. 6 p.m. pre-recorded news, 1 minute 20, live cross, live studio, radio cross, live radio sound bites. They don't know the difference. So I really encourage them to go and absorb a bit of the news, watch a breakfast show, um, listen to talkback radio and familiarise themselves because then when they get the call up from their comms team, they've got some understanding of what that interaction will be like. Uh, I mean, Honestly, Jess, this has been so good and I know that everyone listening will have taken a ream of notes because (laughs) it really, you know, and what I'm getting from this and and what I will walk away with this mostly is I loved your point on you noticed where your nerves sat and then you went and did something about it. You didn't, you weren't a victim to that. I think that is absolutely key. Also, I know having worked with a lot of clients who don't understand the media, they've got, they've put the media on some sort of pedestal where, you know, they've been asked to do an interview and it's like, well, whatever they want, whatever they need without asking all of those questions and really taking the time to say, well, what's going to make me feel more comfortable in this situation? How am I going to really shine? And then simplifying your message. There's just been so much. So, And another thing, Carly, is they can be too risk averse because mm -hmm. they think this is, if I do a piece on TV, there's so much risk here. It could cause reputational damage. And I heard something fantastic recently. Brian Walsh, you know, big TV mogul, passed away recently. And he Mm -hmm. was, I believe, one of the producers that, was there when Lisa Wilkinson um, first did her first live TV read it. She was nervous behind the desk and he went up over the desk and he said, it's just TV, get over yourself. And (laughs) it's so true. And so I rarely watch myself back on TV now where, you know, for someone that's not been on, they stew over it and they go, oh, I've stuffed that up. And they, Mm -hmm. it's like the news cycle is so fast now. You know, you could be a headline in the SMH today and then you're forgotten the next week. And a journalist two weeks later that's covering that story may not have even read that story. So you you don't even have to think that that's a risk that they're going to look at that. So I I, I don't, I put, personally will not work with with a client that's too risk averse from a PR perspective because I can't get them results. Mm-hmm. If they're always shirking away from, oh, what if? I go, you're better off 
you know, being seen as an expert in on this topic, then you're competitor. But if you're if you're too risk averse, then sorry, like I can't do much with you. So because you're just not going to be willing to open up and to to go to the places you need to go to communicate. You will be tomorrow's news. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and that's such a good point as well. As much as it's yes, take this seriously, you know, get good at it, keep practicing, do the things you need to do to really understand how to communicate powerfully. After all of that is said and done, don't make it such a big thing that it paralyzes you because you're absolutely right that your 30 seconds of fame on seven news is going to be literally yesterday's news. So if, if it, it doesn't, or if you don't do as well as you think you should have the first time, just focus on the next one and the next one and the next one after that, because Completely. yeah, you got to just keep going and, and keep perfecting the the craft. Right. And, and if it's any consolation to someone out there who's going to your point at the start, Carly, of we see the same faces, the same experts on TV, we get sick of them and news bosses get sick of them. And I've heard news bosses yell over the production desk, I'm sick of that person, find me another real estate agent. Why do we keep using that same one? We get sick of them and we get told, find someone new, find a fresh face. So there are spaces and, you know, you don't always need a PR to be pitching you forward. You just have to be strong, know what your point of difference is, and be a good communicator. And I think a lot of what we've talked about today, Carly, perhaps someone's going, yeah, but I'm probably not going to be a spokesperson for my company. Do I really need media training? So much of this is applicable to everyday communication because we know good 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 speakers are perceived as good leaders and speaking opportunities are business opportunities they're career opportunities oh my god that that could be a, a postcard Jess I think that that needs to be like that needs to be front and center of your website it probably is but it, well, that was good communication in this day and yeah. age you know strong yeah. effective concise simple communication is a superpower in this day and age. And so I absolutely think this is applicable to anybody to to upskill and think about the way that they speak to their teams, speak to each other. And also, you know, I talk a lot to teams about getting less reliant on technology to do the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. You know, is this a WhatsApp conversation or should I pick up the phone? (laughs) You know, I think we all need to brush up on our communication, particularly after COVID, because we've all become a little bit lazy. Oh, 100%. And I know so many people that are going to be listening to this are going to be wondering, or how do I find Jess? Where can we connect? So where would, where's the best way for them to connect with you? Thanks, Carly. So my business is called By The Way Media. It's because, by the way, I see as a bit of a segue, I'm always using it in conversation as, oh, by the way, did you hear this? It's kind of like an, an ad, add-on or a value add. And that's why we called it By The Way Media. So if you head to btwmedia.com.au, you'll be able to find out about what we offer. I mean, we, we we usually customize, well, we, we do, we customize all of our media training to the client because every business or organization has mm-hmm. very different challenges or opportunities. So I don't like a cookie cutter generic approach, but we do find that that, that end is quite high-end uh, media and presentation training. And yes. it's not always that accessible for 
the small businesses and the yeah. startup founders and entrepreneurs and, and people that just want to develop in their own profession, you know, invest in their own professional development. Yeah. So just recently we've opened up the on-air media training workshops. The idea is that they will be group media training workshops. You'll yep. just pay your own fee. You'll come along in the studio environment. You'll get the same hands-on practical experience as you would if we were doing that small group or one-on-one training. But it's a little bit more of an entry point for yep. someone that wants that level of training, but you know can't afford corporate media training. And so we're hoping to really grow that and make it a lot more accessible, not just for the big bosses. I love that. I emailed you the first time I saw it come up on LinkedIn. It's such a brilliant idea. I know it's going to be a huge success and I absolutely know that it will add value to so many of the people that listen to this show and follow my work. So I'm really so thrilled that we got to do this today, Jess. Thank you you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for your time and for all these amazing insights. And I'm looking forward to a a round two. (laughs) Great. Come back anytime. (laughs) Thanks, Carly. Thank you so much, Jess. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.